All right, you may be seated, and uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10 in your New Testament. Uh, most of it will be on the screen up here, but if you want to follow along and copy the text, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verse 46 through 52. Thank you, Jason, for leading us in our song service today. Uh, thank you, Adam, for leading us through our communion thoughts, and thank you, Neil, and to the elders for leading us in our time of... A back-to-school prayer, a back-to-school blessing, if you want to call it that. Uh, my kids, they go to White Oak. They started school this past Thursday. How many of you are already back in school? Any, okay, maybe a few of you. How many of you are starting school this week? Okay, some of you. So it's kind of mixed, maybe split somewhere. Uh, you either just started or you're about to start. And I view the beginning of a school year as a fresh start. If you're a student... You're probably, like my kids, you're in a new classroom. You have a new teacher. You're around new students. You have the opportunity to meet new friends. It's a fresh start for you. If you're a teacher, uh, you probably have new students in your class, which for some of you, you celebrate that because some of those kids that wrecked havoc in your life last year are gone and you passed them on to somebody else. You might be in a new a new school, a new classroom yourself, new administration, new principals, you know, there's a lot of newness. It's a fresh start. Some of you, when you, when you know school's about to start back, you get that new haircut or that new hairstyle. Maybe you go back to school shopping, you get some new clothes. It's all a big, fresh start. Last year, last school year, is a memory. It's gone. And now we have the start of something new, and that can be exciting but realistically, we know that with a fresh start of a new school year, there's going to be new challenges. We know it's not going to be easy, and there may even be some old challenges that come up. So this is a good time of the year to talk about fresh starts. And when I think about a fresh start, I think about Bartimaeus, this blind beggar that is healed by Jesus at the end of Mark chapter 10. And he gets a fresh start. He gets a new lease on life. But what comes along with that are some major challenges that maybe we wouldn't think of. So I want to walk through the story in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. We'll go verse by verse, and then at the end, I'm going to share with you a few takeaways. But let's just walk through this text together. We'll start in verse 46. They came to Jericho, and he and his disciples in a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Just a quick note. Uh, this is the last stop on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross to die. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, Timaeus, however you want to say it. Jim, how would you pronounce it earlier? You corrected me after the first service. Timaeus, okay. So according to one of our elders, it's Timaeus. So Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. Now, in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this story is in there. In fact, Matthew tells us there were two blind men. All, you know, entering or leaving Jericho on his last stop to Jerusalem. The thing about the Gospel of Mark, a detail that Mark gives us, is he gives us his name. His name is Bartimaeus. He's not just a blind beggar. He's not reduced to that. He has a name. He has a father. He has a family. He has, he's a human being made in the image of God. He's more than just a label. And I think Mark makes it personal because he wants us to see that and we get a small glimpse right here in verse 46 of how Jesus sees him. He doesn't just see him as another person in the crowd, just another beggar. He sees him as a human being with a name. All right, verse 47. 
When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's shouting this out. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is not a title that we see real frequently in the Gospels. It's a messianic title. And the fact that Bartimaeus is calling him Son of David probably shows that he believes Jesus really is the Messiah. This guy has the kind of faith that the average person didn't really have. Or maybe even the disciples didn't have. Well, while he's crying out to Jesus, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me, the crowd tries to intervene. And in verse 48, it says, Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. I can picture this crowd kind of annoyed by Bartimaeus. They probably didn't even know his name. They just knew him as the blind beggar. And I can picture people in the crowd giving him a, an evil look, you know, maybe a look of, of frustration and saying, be quiet, you blind beggar. Don't ruin this for us. We have a really important teacher coming through. But Bartimaeus' response was he cried even more loudly. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute, of him going against uh, counterculture, going against what the crowd was telling, telling him to do, which is a risk on his part. He cries out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we're told in verse 49, Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And he called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Right away, as I'm reading through a text like this, I'm kind of putting myself in the scene. I'm thinking, what would this have been like? And one of the things that I admire about this story is that Jesus heard him. Okay, in the first century, you got a, a well-known, famous teacher like Jesus. He's traveling into town, and he's leaving town. People would have met him outside of the city gates, and they would have escorted him in. Same thing when he was leaving. Escorted him out. So there's probably a pretty large crowd here. I don't know how many. Maybe a hundred. Maybe a thousand. That's a lot of people crowding around Jesus, probably wanting his attention. And out of all those people, hundreds, possibly thousands, there's just one person that's normally insignificant. An outsider, so to speak. We talked about that back in the early spring. An outsider, a blind beggar. And that's the person out of everybody else that Jesus hears him. He actually heard him. When I was you know, imagining what this would be like, this thought came to mind. You know, I watched some of the NBA playoffs this past summer, and you take a really famous player like LeBron James. If you ever watch SportsCenter, you watch highlights of games, you know, after the game is over or halftime, they're walking back to the locker room, and you always see something like this. Hundreds of fans leaning over, trying to get some kind of a high-five handshake or maybe even an autograph. And realistically, a guy like LeBron James, he's not going to walk by and shake everybody's hands. But you watch, he may walk by and boom, boom, grab, hit two hands, and that's it. The lucky few out of the hundreds who get a handshake, who get a high five. It also made me think of when I was a little kid, uh, my, my dad took me to see WCW Wrestling in Reunion Arena in Dallas. Y'all remember Reunion Arena? Okay, uh, it was a big deal to us as kids. He took me and my brothers um, I thought there was like a million people there. This is not a picture from the day we were there. I think looking back on it, there was like 2,000 people in Reunion Arena, which isn't that many, but to me, it's a lot of people. And we got an aisle seat. So when the wrestlers were coming to the ring, we're all leaned over trying to get a high five from every wrestler. And everybody's just passing us by. Until this one wrestler, Flying Brian Pillman, y'all remember him, right? 
Okay? His music hits. He comes sprinting to the ring, and as he's running by, I'm holding my hand out. He grabs it and squeezes it. Kind of hurt. I think I was five or six years old. And kept running. And I look around, and he, he bypassed my brothers. He bypassed every other kid that had their hand out. And I was like, yeah. He grabbed my hand. It made me feel really special. Like, he noticed me out of everybody else. Right, so that came to mind as I'm thinking about Jesus passing through and out of Jericho, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. And you have Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, this insignificant man, and Jesus stops. He's heard him. He's heard this cry, and it's got his attention. I like the fact that Jesus is not normally annoyed with the same type of people that his disciples or people in the crowd would be annoyed by. They're annoyed with this blind beggar. They tell him to be quiet, but yet Jesus says, no, I want to talk to him. Neil read from us during the uh, back-to-school prayer, this passage about the little children coming to Jesus. And if you look at the Gospels, usually when children are brought before Jesus, his disciples or somebody else would say, leave Jesus alone, but Jesus would say, no, let him come to me. You know, they would get annoyed and they would want people to go away and leave Jesus alone. But Jesus said, no, I'm not annoyed by them. I want to be with them. I want to talk to them. And what he says to Bartimaeus is, call him. It's not the same exact language as follow me, those two powerful words, that invitation. But it is discipleship language. We may miss that if we're just doing a quick reading. Call him. That, he's inviting him not just to to talk to him or to heal him, he's inviting him to begin this process of discipleship. Call him. And so the crowd says, take heart, get up, he's calling you. You could literally read that Greek as take courage, rise, he's calling you. I like the fact that the crowd, the people that were trying to tell him to be quiet, are now ordered by Jesus to escort Bartimaeus into his presence. Verse 50, we get what might seem like an insignificant detail. It says, throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. Well, we read that and we're like, okay, well, he throws his cloak off. I mean, that's not that big of a deal out of the whole story. About nine years ago, I was, started my master's at Lubbock Christian University online, and I had this professor named Dr. Michael Martin. And when we read this text together, he said, I want you to pay attention to this. In the ancient world, when you would throw off your cloak, that's symbolic of death. So there's some significance to this passage. There's a reason Mark gives us this detail. He is rising at the call of Jesus, throwing off that cloak, that coat that he had on. You know, it reminds me of baptism a little bit. When we're baptized, we even have a song, we take off the old robe and you put on the new. He's throwing off that old robe in response to Jesus. And then in verse 51, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? This question that he asks him. Which I find this question really interesting and perplexing. Why would Jesus ask this question? Jesus is a great healer. He has been casting out demons. He's been curing the sick. He's been giving a sight back to the blind. And all these things that Jesus is doing, a blind guy comes up to you and you say, what do you want me to do for you? Well, wouldn't it be obvious? It's a no-brainer. You should heal him, right? Well, Jesus, usually when he asks a question, there's something deeper going on. What do you want me to do for you? Well, does he want a fresh start? You know, we talked about going back to school and these fresh starts. 
Receiving his sight, maybe for the first time ever, or the first time in who knows how long, that would be a fresh start for Bartimaeus. But Jesus knows by asking this question, as this will be a life-altering decision. And if he makes the decision that he wants his vision, it's going to change everything for him. He is called a blind beggar. His whole life, we don't know how long, but probably most of his life, his adult life, at least. He goes to the same spot on the side of the road every day as a blind man begging for money. And if Jesus gives him his sight back, he can't beg anymore. But that means he probably has no education, no training, no job background, no opportunities to work anywhere. He's not marketable. So if he receives his vision, well, that means everything's going to change. He can't be a beggar anymore. As author Kenneth Bailey says, it might be to his advantage to just remain a beggar. I mean, this is a serious question here. What do you want me to do for you? As I was researching this, I came across this uh, article from a magazine. Uh, it was written in 2005 by a guy named Robert Curson. It was called Into the Light. It was about uh, those who were, uh, you know, were blind and they were able to receive a transplant surgery so they could see again. And as he focused this article on a guy named Michael May who received the surgery, but he does a little background. And, and so several people that had this surgery, this transplant, uh, they're very excited at first, and this euphoria of the lights and seeing their loved ones was amazing. But then as time went on, they realized that learning to see was not easy. In fact, they were very discouraged, some of them even depressed. Like height, depth, you know, 3D dimensions, the lights, cars, people's faces, facial expressions, telling gender, everything was challenging to them. It wasn't just like, oh, I got vision and now I, everything is clear. They had to learn to see. And some of them became depressed because they felt like they didn't belong to one world or the other anymore. So this guy named Michael May in 1999, he went blind at the age of three and now he was 45 years old. Uh, he had learned to live as a blind man, but he decided to have this surgery which he knew going into it, it would change everything. It was a life-altering decision to have this surgery, but he embraced it. He embraced the challenges that it brought. Uh, his wife said that as soon as they were leaving the hospital, he had all these questions. What's that? Who's that? Is that a car? Is that a bicycle? Is there a step right there? Can I touch that plant? Like he was just so excited to see, but he didn't know what everything was. And she said when they got to the hotel, he would ride up and down the elevator, finding his way to the lobby back to the room just for the thrill of it because he could see. He learned to play catch with his son, which was really challenging. He embraced it. But he knew, receiving his sight, for the first time in 42 years, it wasn't going to just be magic. It was going to take some time to learn how to see again. So here when Jesus asks this question, what do you want me to do for you? It's not just a silly, random question that Jesus is asking. He's wanting Bartimaeus to own the decision, do you really want to see again? Because it's going to change everything. And Bartimaeus says, yeah, let me see again. It's a big decision. He could have, he could have said to the answer, he could have, to the question, he could have given the answer, could you make me a millionaire? If you, make me, if you give me a lot of money, I'll stop begging. What do you want me to do for you? He could have said, 
Can you preach lessons on generosity and kindness so people will give more when I'm begging? He could have gone those routes. And sometimes we think within those boxes, right? But he thought larger than that. He had this big faith in Jesus. Let me see again. I'm ready. So, in verse 52, at the end of this story, we're told, as Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. So he compliments his faith. And it often seems like in the Gospels that the most unexpected people display the most amount of faith. And immediately, he regained his sight. If you are with us last week, we looked at Mark chapter 8. There's two different blind men in the Gospel of Mark who are healed. The first one in Mark chapter 8, if you remember, it doesn't work right away. Jesus does this thing where he puts saliva on his hands, touches the guy's eyes. What do you see? He said, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then Jesus touches his eyes again. It's strange. The whole story seems kind of strange. But what I mentioned to you last week is the first blind man in Mark chapter 8, he's a metaphor. He serves as a metaphor for the disciples who don't grasp the whole kingdom picture very clearly. They don't understand why Jesus is going to die. But this, this guy, Bartimaeus, the second blind man we meet in Mark, immediately he regains his sight. There's no saliva or all this stuff going on. There's no, oh, I see people, but they look like trees. Immediately he receives his sight and he followed Jesus along the way. And truthfully, if you're, if you're looking at the whole story, Bartimaeus becomes a model disciple for us. He serves as a model for conversion and for discipleship. Look at this progression here. We're kind of like Bartimaeus. We're all all blind beggars crying out to Jesus as Messiah. We may not be physically blind, spiritually blind. Jesus calls us, we rise. Remember the crowd said, take courage, rise. He's calling you. We die, we throw off that cloak. We come to Jesus, He heals us, He gives us our sight back. He saves us, and then we continue to follow Him along the way. So maybe you could look at it like that. Bartimaeus is like a, a model of discipleship for us. Last week when I, we looked at the first blind man in the Gospel of Mark, I had this little sub-theme about staying with Jesus even when your vision is blurry. I want to keep that theme this week. Stay with Jesus. And here's a few takeaways from what we learn. I think, or at least a few things that I've noticed from Bartimaeus this new disciple of Jesus, this model disciple. Here's a few takeaways. One is to stay with Jesus in prayer. So throughout church history, church tradition, there's this one-sentence breath prayer that many people have prayed all over the world, many Christians. It's a combination of Bartimaeus and what he cries out to Jesus. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And if you read the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, you combine what the tax collector prays, this one-sentence prayer, what Bartimaeus prays, and it's Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And for 2,000 years now, people have been praying that one-sentence breath prayer. I've prayed that prayer at times where I'm, I don't know what else to pray or when I'm having trouble starting my prayer. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He becomes a model for prayer for us. But he's in the darkness initially, right? He can't see. He's only relying on what people around him are telling him that Jesus is coming by, and he cries out to Jesus from the darkness. And for you and I, there's probably plenty of times in our life where we're going to feel like we're in the darkness, like we're discouraged, we're depressed, we're just struggling, we feel hopeless or helpless. 
And Bartimaeus becomes a model for us to continue to pray even out of the darkness. We have an enemy, Satan. And when we're feeling down, discouraged, helpless, hopeless, Satan would love it if we would just stop praying. Whether it's through apathy or through anger. We look at Bartimaeus, though, this model disciple, and he serves as an example to stay with Jesus in prayer even in the darkness. The second little takeaway is to stay with Jesus through resistance. Now you remember the crowd was telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. He's crying out to Jesus, leave him alone. Now think about Bartimaeus. Place yourself in his shoes. You probably want to stay on the good side of the crowd, right? Because you're raising money from them. You're begging them for money. You don't want them upset with you. And so he has an option when the crowd tells him to be quiet. He can either cater to the crowd or he can take a risk and go against what the crowd is telling him to do in order to be persistent in his faith to meet Jesus. And we have the same option. The crowd kind of serves as a a parallel to the culture. And truth be told, without getting into the details, a lot of times following Jesus, trying to stay faithful to Jesus, it feels like we have some resistance from the culture around us, or maybe we're swimming upstream, going against what everybody else is doing. Uh, about three weeks ago, my, you know, I mentioned this last week, but my family and I, we went to Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And this river right here, you see this picture, it's called the San Juan River. It runs right through the, the town. So four out of the five days we were there, we went to this river. Day one, we paid to go river tubing. And then we realized you don't have to pay. You can just go jump in the river. And so we went, kept going back to the river because it was free and the kids loved going there. Well, we would get in the river. We would follow the current. It would take us to these hot springs. We would have fun. And we had two options to get back to our car. We could either hike up through the river against the stream, against the current, or we could just take the road. Most days we would just take the road to go back to our car. But on our last day, we decided, let's just stay in the water a little while longer. We'll walk upstream. Uh, we'll go against the current. And it was a lot more challenging than I thought it was going to be. I mean, the water was maybe up to my knees, so for my kids, it was up to here. And at certain spots, the water's coming pretty hard against you. I mean, there were some points where, as we were walking, it almost felt like we weren't even moving. The rocks were slippery. I slipped and ate it several times. And I was trying to hold on to my kids, especially my son. He's a little bit lighter. And every time he fell down, the water would just start to wash him away. So I had to grab a hold of him. And I tried to use it as a teaching opportunity, right, as a parent. So I just said, Christian, have you ever heard the phrase, I'm swimming upstream? His answer, no. <laughs> so I'm okay. Well, I'm explaining to you anyways. Uh, so when people say, it feels like I'm swimming upstream, it means they're doing something hard, or maybe they're doing something that feels impossible, or maybe they're doing something that nobody else is doing. Swimming upstream here. I'm going this way. Everybody else is going this way. And I told him, And maybe you'll understand it later on in life that sometimes following Jesus feels that way. Feels like what we're doing right now. You're walking up this river while everything is coming against you. And the easy thing to do would just be to plop down and let the stream, the current take you in the direction it's going in. And that would be fun and exhilarating at first until you started hitting some rocks. And if you followed it long enough, it would put you in some really dangerous water. So the easy thing to do is not always the right thing. 
And Bartimaeus here, he goes against what the crowd is telling him to do. He goes against the culture. He fights against the resistance. And as a model disciple for us, he serves as an example. And we could ask ourselves these questions. Will you stay with Jesus even if you encounter resistance? There's always going to be resistance. Never going to be easy. Will you stay with Jesus even if the crowd is telling you to be quiet? Bartimaeus goes against the grain. He goes against the current. He's swimming upstream, but he fights against that resistance. And then the third way, uh, the third little takeaway I think we get from Bartimaeus is to stay with Jesus beyond a fresh start. So I started this a little bit ago talking about how, you know, new school year, fresh start. I think we can all identify with having a fresh start throughout our lives. And what I love about this story is even though Jesus restores his sight, In my opinion, Bartimaeus is a free man at that point. He can do what he wants to. And Jesus said, call him. He's invited him, but Jesus is not going to make Bartimaeus follow him. So he has the option. He could go use his newfound freedom, his sight, and just go indulge and say, I'm a free man now. But the last line of that text in verse 52, it says he followed him along the way. He doesn't just receive an answer to prayer. He doesn't just receive a fresh start or a new lease on life and then go do his own thing. He gets this answer to a prayer and he keeps following Jesus. After he gets the fresh start, he followed Jesus along the way. So this morning, I'm going to offer an invitation to you, maybe in two ways. One is, um, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, you can kind of see some elements of that in Bartimaeus' story. The idea of responding to Jesus' call, dying to your old self, throwing that off, coming to Jesus for Him to save you, to be baptized into Christ, and to start this new journey of following Jesus along the way. Or it may be that you're in a struggle in your own life and you're, you struggle with praying through some of the hard times, some of the dark times, or maybe you felt that resistant and you felt like, it was easier for you to just go with everybody else. However we can help you today, however we can pray for you, if you need to respond to this invitation, I'm available to you. Our elders are around the room. They're available to talk to you, pray with you. Uh, Let us know how we can help you. Let's stand and continue to sing. There's a fountain of grace for you and me. Let us haste